This episode is sponsored by Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. Podcasters of all sizes can browse opportunities for free right in the platform, and you can send your own pitches right within Podcorn. Some of you have heard me say that podcast ads will only continue to grow in 2021. So if you're curious to get started, visit witandwire.com slash podcorn to start browsing for free or find a link in the show notes. One of the top questions I'm always asked is how can I find more listeners for my podcast? In this episode, I'm joined by seasoned host Miriam Shulman from The Inspiration Place, and she's here to share five growth strategies that range from beginner to advanced. We cover everything from guest relationships through Facebook pixels, and my hope is that each of you can walk away with at least one new strategy to try for your show. It's all coming up in today's episode of Wit & Wire. Welcome to Wit & Wire where we take you behind the scenes to learn how to start and scale a successful podcast that makes an impact. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, a podcast producer, host, and instructor on a mission to amplify and diversify voices in podcasting. No matter how new or seasoned you are as a host, I can't wait to help you find more listeners, expand your audience, build authentic connections, and hit the charts. Today, I'm here with podcaster Miriam Shulman. Miriam is the founder and chief inspiration officer of The Inspiration Place, where she helps passionistas, passion makers, and passion professionals reconnect with their creativity and profit from their passion. After witnessing the 9-11 terrorist attacks, she abandoned a lucrative hedge fund job to work on her art full-time. Rejecting the starving artist myth, her art has been seen on NBC, published in art magazines and home decor books, and collected worldwide. So Miriam, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you. Well, thanks for having me, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to learn more about you. And before we do jump into some of your growth strategies, I want to learn a little bit more about you. So why did you first decide to start a podcast? Great question. So I was writing for Professional Artist Magazine, and basically I realized how being um, part of the media allowed me reconnaissance to ask questions of anybody. It was like access to anyone. So that was my initial biggest appeal to it. And 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 truth is that really has panned out that I've been able to invite authors of all the books that I read and some of my favorite influencers to the podcast and artists. So having that access to other people was my original motivation. And that keeps me motivated, really having a, a way to build those connections. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I know we'll talk about you know downloads and how to grow your show. And that's maybe the most popular question that people ask. But like you're saying, this huge benefit of being a podcaster is just these access points to so many really amazing people. And it really is a fun way to get all of your own questions answered. So I love that you brought that up. What would you say are some of the other maybe biggest benefits that podcasting has brought since you've now covered 120 episodes and counting, which is a huge accomplishment? Yeah, a lot of it also was when I first created my podcast, I wanted to basically create the podcast for the audience that I wanted to serve. It didn't have to be a podcast for the audience I was already serving. So let me explain. So I'm an artist. I sell art. And at the time, I was teaching online art classes. So you may think that I would be talking on the podcast just about how to create art. 
but I really wanted to step into the role of, of sharing my knowledge of how to sell art, which is a different audience than what I was already serving. So I knew that by creating the podcast for this message of how to sell your art, that I would attract that audience that I wanted to serve. And in the earliest days, what were some of the maybe first strategies that you used to start growing your podcast right in the first, I don't know, 20 or 30-ish episodes? I used what I call like a ladder approach for attracting people. Even when I didn't even have my podcast live yet, I got commitments early on, first from my own business coach, Jason Van Orden, who I knew was a big name to be on my show. So then I would use his name to attract somebody else to come to the show. Oh, Jason Van Orden's going to be on the show. Like I have this new show and this is what it's about. And this person has already committed. Would you like to join us? And then when I'd go to the third person, I would use Jason's name and the second person's name. And so I basically would ladder my way up the access. So, hey, there's this great podcast coming out. It's going to reach a new vertical for you. And I would love for you to be a part of that. I love that you call it the ladder approach too, because that makes perfect sense of just adding on one name to the next. And I know you pointed out, Jason's name as kind of the first stepping stone. But it really does just take, I think, one bigger name that you can start kind of going on tour and saying, oh, this person committed. Do you want to join? And it does make a huge difference. It does. And the reason I say ladder is because you can't really skip too many rungs. So when I first started out, I couldn't go from Jason to Gretchen Rubin. I had to build like scaffolding to get to that point when I finally was able to invite Gretchen Rubin onto the show. I actually did ask her very early on and she said no. And I, I circled back to her a year later, but I had different guests on my show and it was in a different position where I could ask her. And then people also, they're interested in your download numbers and your positioning. So it really does help to grow. But having the biggest podcast is not always necessarily what every podcast guest is looking for. It's also if you can show them that you have a niche that they haven't tapped that is interested in a product that they are selling, they will also want to come on your show. And that's how I got Amy Porterfield interested in coming onto my show. Mm, I think that's a great point. Can you tell us the specific Amy Porterfield example of how you were able to book her on your show? Of course. So again, I had asked her initially and they didn't say no, they said not now. And for me, even when people say no, I always take that to mean not now. So I, you know, I made a note, I put it a date in my calendar when I would circle back. And again, first of all, it was using the ladder approach. So another way to get people onto the show is when they have a book coming out. Todd Herman had a book coming out. I got him on the show. I knew that was a name that Amy would pay attention to as well as some of the other guests I've had on the show. So that's part of it. It's using that ladder approach to get the guests that you want by slowly building up to where they are. But the second thing is that, as I said, I serve artists and my content on my podcast is how to sell your art. Now, list building is something that I believe artists should do. And that was a market segment that Amy didn't really have a lot of access to. And I knew that the artist needed what she had. So I was able to provide a bridge from my audience to her audience. And indeed, it was like a really good partnership that way where she could get into front of my audience for free. So it was a great way for her to build a new segment of her audience. 
I think that's such a smart strategy that our listeners can take away, which is to think about what your audience needs and maybe the skills or even the strategies that they're going to develop and then find somebody who's great at that, Amy Porterfield, her list building example, and then see if they can tap into your audience. I think that's such a smart approach. Now, we've talked about relationship building. So that's maybe the first strategy we'll cover. The latter approach, all this has been so helpful. And then I know with Amy also, you mentioned that something you do is that you really position your guest beautifully. That's strategy number two. So can you tell us more about how you position your guests to help them want to share your episode? Oh, that's a really good question, Melissa. And I'm glad you asked me that. So Unfortunately, so many times you'll listen to a podcast host where they are in such a hurry to position themselves as the expert that they don't give their guests an opportunity to shine. So I do that from the very beginning. I do it slightly differently than I think you do, Melissa. I have them listen to me, give the intro so that they can relax and know that I am telling my audience all those points that they want made so they don't have to worry about working it into the conversation. The second thing that I do is at the very end, I'm going to give you a call to action and I'm going to do it for you. What is it that you want me to promote? Sometimes I will wait till the end to talk about that program, but if I can work it in the conversation earlier, I will. And again, it's just so my guests can relax and not have to worry about trying to work in their CTAs throughout the interview. When you do that and really position your guests and promote their program, they want to share that content. Now this becomes a platform for them. So I know that Amy Porterfield does not share every guest appearance that she's been on, but she did share mine with her free Facebook group community. And that did bring me a lot of downloads and a lot of listens because I basically created an infomercial for her in a very authentic way. I think that's a great point for our hosts to realize when you are interviewing a guest, you have such an amazing opportunity to get their best expertise. And if you're consistently trying to maybe insert yourself in your expertise, which I know is very tempting to do, you're not only missing out on the chance to learn from them, but you're also perhaps overdoing it too much that they won't want to share the episode. And I hope people don't hear us saying like, oh, if you're the host, don't say anything at all. It's just about getting their best point of view, their best expertise, their best strategies, because it'll make you look amazing as a host when you bring on a great guest who has great strategies to share. Just by association of knowing this person and curating them to be on your show, like you already look amazing. You don't have to try to overdo it by putting yourself into the combo. That's right. Yeah, I don't mean that you shouldn't talk. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to them give a webinar for an hour. It's a conversation. And of course introducing ideas that, like I said, if this was very specific to artists, and what I know is very frustrating for artists, is they'll listen to Amy or another marketer talk about a list building strategy, and the examples that are being used are for weight loss coaches, and they have no idea what that means for them. So I can provide that bridge from Amy to my audience. It makes it easier for her to connect with my audience, and it makes it more meaningful for my audience to listen to what she has to say. And as the bridge, when you are interviewing Amy or really any guest, how do you make sure that you're asking the right questions to get the best out of your guests? That's a really great question. I actually probably spend more time than the average preparing for my interview. So like you, Melissa, I do listen to their, their show and to perhaps other shows that they've been on. But what I like to do is, first of all, 
I'll plan in advance what are my bullets that I that like the sexy bullets that you might put on a webinar. I kind of try to plan what those are in advance. What are the hooks for my audience? And I build those questions around those three hooks. So what's in it for my audience? Then the other thing I do is I I do ask the guests, are there any questions you want me to ask? So I won't always use the questions they give, but if I need to, I will. And then finally, I make sure by the end of the podcast that they've said everything that they want to say. So uh, is there anything you want to add to it? I'll ask that question at the end. But the other thing that I would invite your listeners to do, Melissa, is to be very flexible and be a really good listener while you are doing the interview, because some of the best questions are in response to what they're saying in the moment, not the ones you prepare ahead of time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that being a really active listener is the key to being a great interviewer because if you only look at the you know list you've prepared and you just read straight down the list, you're going to miss all the good stuff. Even what you just mentioned about beginning with the end in mind. What are the bullets that you want to have at the end of the episode? I think that's such a great tip because if you let the guest just kind of take the conversation wherever – Yes, there's the benefit that they'll say really wonderful, helpful things, but unless you have a clear sense of how you're going to promote the episode and market the episode at the end, chances are good you're going to end up with an episode that doesn't have a clear storyline and doesn't have a clear outcome. So I love that tip about just kind of imagining like what are those bullet points you want to share just to make sure that you have a cohesive episode in the end. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing about the bullets, though. The bullets are generally, and this is why I say they're kind of like those webinar bullets. They are general enough that you can take the conversation into several different directions, but they're specific enough to give your listener a hook. You know, the surprising truth of how to build your audience, for example, uh, with, with without expensive advertising. So you give them a very sexy thing so that they want to stay to the end to hear what that is. So there will be mental hooks for them to hold on to, but also leaving loopholes big enough so that you can fill that conversation with whatever you want. Right. It's like you're telling them what the outcome is going to be, but not telling them exactly how you're going to do the whole thing. Exactly. Well, now that we've covered our first two strategies on the latter approach and positioning your guest, we are about to get into some advanced growth strategies around Facebook ads and if they're worth it, plus a few quick tips that our hosts can implement in under an hour. I can't wait, but first, let's hear a quick word from today's sponsor. Listeners often ask me where to find podcast sponsors, and historically, it's been kind of challenging to find sponsors willing to work with smaller or newer shows. But good news. Today's sponsor, Podcorn, is here to help. Podcorn is an online marketplace connecting hosts to sponsors, and there are different paid promo types, including host-read ads like this one, interview segments, and more. What I personally love about Podcorn is that you can browse sponsors right on their website, and many of them are new businesses and podcasts who are happy to work with newer shows, so there really is something for everyone. Within Podcorn's online marketplace, you can send pitches, send your own rates, communicate with brands, and get paid. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn will support you at every step of the way. Visit witandwire.com slash podcorn to start browsing for free or find a link in the show notes. It's time to move on to growth strategy number three, and I would certainly call this an advanced strategy, but it's something I'm excited to hear you talk more about. 
you have a phrase called the podcast listen conversion. And most people don't know about this, but you can create podcast listener conversion from Facebook to podcast listener. So I know you don't run this all the time, but can you tell us a little bit more about this strategy and what it means? Okay, Melissa, that's a great question. And for some reason, this doesn't get talked about enough. People think that when you run Facebook ads, that there's no way to measure if your ad is working for a podcast. And that actually isn't true. What you need to do is create an ad that takes the customer who sees your ad on Facebook or Instagram over to your blog, your website. And you'll have a programmer create what's called a podcast listen conversion. So when they click the player on your page, it causes the Facebook pixel to fire. So that is a way that, first of all, you can measure any Facebook advertising that you're doing if it's working. And second of all, you can create a Facebook custom audience with those podcast listeners. And that is super powerful because you can retarget your listeners with a different ad or you can create a lookalike audience of your podcast listeners the next time you have a promotion, whether that's to new podcast listeners or you have a promotion that you feel would attract a similar audience. I love that. So I've never personally tried this, but I'm familiar enough with Facebook ads that I think I can kind of help us through some essentials. So for people who haven't heard of a conversion in the world of Facebook and really any kind of social media advertising, a conversion describes usually an action that people are taking and you can use what's called a custom event, I think is what we're talking about in Facebook to help see what people are up to on your website. A custom event could be clicking on something. It could be engaging with your website somehow. Two common conversions that people measure are capturing an email address, a lead, or a purchase. But I love this suggestion. Now, let's say we have the event set up. So I know Facebook ads are something that some listeners will have probably little to no experience with. Some may have a little bit more awareness. But I am curious, once you have all of that set up, what kind of ads do you run for your podcast on Facebook and Instagram? Okay, that's a great question. So usually it's the same content that I would create to promote my podcast organically, but I would just put some money, tell Facebook, hey, show this, whatever it is, audiogram. Usually it's an audiogram for me. Show this audiogram to either my audience or a new audience, depending on what my goals are. If I wanted to build my listener base, I would want to show it to a new audience. If I created content that supports a launch that I'm doing, then that is definitely a time where I would want to retarget people to listen to a podcast episode. So Melissa, can I give an example? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. So for example, one of my signature programs is Watercolor Portrait Academy. And I have a few podcast episodes around portraits. So while I am launching my Watercolor Portrait Academy, all those new leads coming in, I want them to go listen to the podcast episode because all that free content is going to really help them connect with me on a deeper level. And whether they buy from me or not, that's how you create raving fans. Because now you're showing them, hey, this is the perfect content for you to listen to if you're interested in this topic. I think that's a great point because I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is that it's important to 
remind ourselves that the leads that we are capturing are still relatively new to us no matter how we found them. And so continuing to share valuable free content, like a great related podcast episode with them, is a great strategy to continue building the relationship with them versus saying, oh, I have your email address. Let me immediately go into something like a pitch. I think we often forget that People can find us at any of our podcast episodes. So for you, maybe somebody started listening at episode three, but others at episode 103 or 73, and the chances that they've listened to every single one of our episodes are slim, but also maybe they listened a long time ago, or maybe they only listened to part, and it may not have been as relevant to them six months ago as it could be today. So if today they're telling me, hey, I'm interested in this now, sending them to a past podcast episode, I don't think people need to worry If, oh, they've seen this before, if they're telling you what they're interested in now, you should send them relevant content about if it's in this case watercolor painting or anything that might be of interest, just go ahead and send it again. I wouldn't worry about overdoing it. That's a great point, Melissa. Also, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times my daughter rewatches her favorite office episodes. (laughs) And if you want to create content that for your fans, you got to think of them as like, the same way that they want to watch or listen to our best stuff over and over again. Definitely. Now, speaking of launches, a fourth strategy I want to talk about is the way that you use your thank you pages. I think often a thank you page is real estate left totally wasted and not used to its full potential. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you kind of maximize that space on your thank you pages? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me about that. Yeah. And that this is one of my best strategies for building my audience. So when people go and they opt in and they hit your thank you page, and usually one of the first things I hit them with, and it's all on one page, it's just a a landing page, is here is podcast episode I think you would love. And what's great about it is we all know that almost half of the people who opt in never check their email, but everyone is going to want to do the next thing that's right there that gives them instant gratification. So if they have to wait a week for your masterclass, but they can listen to a podcast episode right now, they're going to do it. So that brings in a lot of listeners right there. And the other thing I love about it, Melissa, is that you're spending so much money to get a lead onto your email list. You might as well make that that dollar, those advertising dollars do double duty and build your podcast at the same time. Definitely. And even if people aren't maybe at the point of spending ads, anybody who has any opt-in on your website, whether it's a freebie that you have, that still has a thank you page. Somebody downloads your PDF, now they're hitting a thank you page. And including episodes that they might like I think is such a great tip because it's so easy to do. And like you said, everyone hits that page. Maybe not everyone checks the email. And if you put great related content in front of them, they will be so excited, I think, to continue listening or tuning into your podcast. Absolutely. Which reminds me, Melissa. Okay. So I would say a 4B is in the follow-up sequence for whatever your free content is that they've just downloaded. The second email should also invite them to listen to a related podcast especially if it's something like a webinar where they have to wait a week to actually consume that content to keep them entertained in between with your podcasts are is a really good idea. Definitely. I think we won't today, but there could be a full episode dedicated to just places to include your episodes in your email marketing, whether it's an automated series or your regular newsletter emails. I think too often 
podcasters email about the launch day episode and then don't mention the episode ever again. But there's so much opportunity to refer to those episodes in your email welcome sequence or when you have, we're talking about these lead magnets or running ads, when you send a confirmation email, just recommending three more episodes they might love. It just feels like there's so much opportunity there. Yeah, that's a great point. That would be a great episode. Well, hopefully people can uh, stay tuned. I don't have it planned yet, but if people are interested in learning more about email marketing, they can reach out and I would take any and all questions about that. Now, one more strategy I want to cover is about creating what you call the custom smart link, or what I prefer the name is the one link to rule them all. So can you tell me a little bit more about your one link to rule them all and how you created it? Okay. So this is a feature I learned about on another podcast episode, and it is super helpful. So the name of the program is Chartable. And a lot of podcasters may have gotten emails from Chartable for free and didn't quite know what to do with it. At least that was my experience. They they rank your podcasts and tell you where, where you're sitting in iTunes and other places. But they have this feature called Smart Links. And the way the Smart Link works is you create a link and that link will take the person from whatever device they're on to the correct podcast listening app or device. For example, if the user is on the desktop, it will take the user to your blog, to your website. If the user is on an Apple device, it will take the user to iTunes. If it's on an Android, it will take the user to Spotify or Google Play. And so you can set this all up and use that one link to promote your show. And that way you are, instead of sending all your traffic to your website, it really helps build your iTunes audience, which as we know, that is like the mother of audiences that you really want to get higher ranking. So to divert as much of that traffic as you can, that is applicable over to Apple. And to give us an example, what is your link or when do you give people this smart link? We usually create a 90-second audiogram, and that audiogram we post on IGTV. Now, the reason we post it on IGTV is because you can have a link there, and the link is clickable, even if you have less than 10,000 Instagram followers. So we use the link there. We also take that same audiogram, and we post it on LinkedIn. So that's the second place. The third place we post it is on Facebook. And of course, and and the email as well. So anywhere that you're promoting a specific episode, you promote this one dedicated link. And just to reiterate what you said, when I click on it from my iPhone, I would go into Apple Podcasts. If I'm on my desktop, maybe clicking through an email, that same link would just take me to your website. Correct. And then, Melissa, I just want to point out, and this is for people who wanted to use that advanced strategy we talked about earlier. So if you do want Facebook advertising and you want to use the podcast listen event, then you do want to take people, all people, to your website. So you would not use the smart link. So I'm using these smart links for my organic posting when I'm building my organic audiences. And I don't care about taking them to my website. I care about trying to first see if I can get them to listen to it on iTunes, because that's going to give me a lot of reach for my podcast. Mm -hmm. So you use smart links in organic places like social media. But if you're doing a paid effort, then you would use a direct link to your website. Correct. 
That makes sense. Well, we've covered five great strategies so far, and I'll recap them before we go, but I wanted to also talk about maybe a few things that are not working as well. Something that I love about all these strategies is that it tells me that over the course of podcasting, you've tried quite a few things to see what's worked and what's not, and I think both are equally important to talk about. So what are some strategies that you found haven't really worked for you or maybe used to work but are no longer working? Yeah, that's a really great point, Melissa. It's always super important to keep seeing what's working and if it's still working. One thing that changed quite dramatically was when in the beginning we were using ManyChat, the Facebook bot, to messenger people. And Facebook changed their terms of service so that you can't message people unless it's a paid broadcast. So we've continued to pay for those broadcasts, but we found that strategy is just not as working as well as it used to. And for people who haven't heard of ManyChat, can you tell them what that kind of looks like as a user if they're getting a chat from a ManyChat bot? Sure. So we send a message out and this is, hey, we have a new podcast. It's all about Uh, making money from portraits. Are you interested? And it looks like it's coming from our company, kind of looks like it's coming from me, but we try to make sure that we're in integrity, that it's not, we're not saying it's me, it's from my company. And that comes to their messenger inbox. So when they respond to that, we can send them a second message. So usually you want them to have an opt-in. You don't just say, here's the link. You say, are you interested? Yes, No, maybe, something like that. And what we give them the option to do also is if they they either want to listen to it now, if they click yes, then we give them the smart link we talked about. But if they're, say, one of the options we give them, busy, email me, then we ask for their email and we actually email a link to their inbox, which has been super helpful in building our email list with our podcast listeners. So it's always, here's some content that I have. This is what it's about. Are you interested? And once they give a micro commitment that, yes, they're interested, then you tell them more and how to get it. And there's always the no thank you. And if they say no thank you, Melissa, then we say, oh, hold on. Do you still want to get messages from us? So we're super careful about that as well, that we don't keep messaging people who don't want to hear from us. Yeah, I noticed that the term micro-commitment you used, which is something a lot of marketers talk about, where people give this small series of yeses. And even just by saying, oh, yes, I want this, there's this almost psychological effect where they're growing to know and trust you and they're saying yes to you. And that makes them more excited to continue saying yes to you in the future rather than the first ask you ever make of them is, hey, do you want to buy my thing? They're going to say, oh, no, no. Like I've never – once agreed with you or said yes to anything before. So I think that little term, the micro commitments is also a really helpful tip. Now, before we start to wrap up, because you've tried so many strategies, I also wanted to ask you, are there other strategies or tips that we haven't covered yet that you think would be helpful to share with our audience of podcasters? I think it's always good to listen to your audience to see what it is that they want. And some of my best content are the questions that I didn't know that they had. So using Facebook groups to talk to your audience or just reaching out to your audience and seeing what it is that they want to learn and always asking. So just as we said, Melissa, to be an active listener with your podcast guest, you need to be an active listener with your audience as well. 
That's a great tip. And it's funny because I think often we think of podcast hosts as talkers, but really the best hosts are the listeners listening to their guests, listening to their audience, because if you aren't tuning into what people have to share or what they need from you, then your podcast isn't going to be, I think, very valuable in the end. It'll just be you talking. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. Again, we've covered so much today, and I don't want people to walk away feeling overwhelmed, thinking about maybe trying all of these at once or wondering which to try first. So if you had just launched a podcast, let's say with fewer than maybe 10 episodes published, what would you focus on first over the next maybe three to six months to really start building up your initial growth? Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa. And I think one thing that really helped me a lot when I first started was being realistic about what those initial numbers should be. So I remember hearing very early on that the average only gets 140 downloads. And that number is six weeks after the episode airs. And that's actually what mine started off as. So I wasn't discouraged and I didn't give up. I think too many podcasters, new podcasters, want to have those huge numbers right from the get-go. The ones that are going to win, the people are going to win, are the ones who are consistent and relentless and don't give up early. When you have those numbers that are not quite what you want, don't let that discourage you. Keep being consistent and they will grow. Yeah. I think that's a really important reminder. We, I think, see the biggest podcasts and the ones that have been around for the longest. And like you said, keeping perspective, not comparing your starting point to somebody else's three years end point, I think is a really great tip. Before we wrap up, what are you currently working on and what's up next for you that you're excited about? Well, actually, I am writing a book based on my content on the podcast. So that's what I'm really most excited about right now. But if your listeners want a taste of that, I do have a free ebook. It's called The Artist Profit Plan. And they can get that at shulmanart.com forward slash profit. Perfect. And I'll include a link in the show notes as well. Where else can listeners go to learn more about you and to tune into your podcast? Well, if you're a podcast listener, I'd love to invite you to listen to my show. It's The Inspiration Place. So you can find that on all the podcast apps. And send me a DM. I'm at Shulman Art over on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, Miriam, this has been an absolutely packed episode with so many tips that I think both beginners and more advanced podcasters will really benefit from. So a huge thank you again for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk about it. Listeners, with an episode as full as this one, I wanted to recap everything before we go, including an overview of the five growth strategies that Miriam shared. Number one, the latter approach to booking guests for your show. Once you have one big name, you'll be able to use that person's connection to continue to go out and pitch more guests. But remember, you can't skip a rung. You have to move strategically in order as you move up the ladder to book bigger and bigger guests over time. Number two, Position your guest. Your goal should be to showcase your guest's expertise so that they're excited to share your episode with their audience because it really highlights their knowledge and their business. Number three, our advanced strategy to use the Facebook pixel to capture podcast listens on your website. You might need a developer for this, but if you are Facebook ad savvy, you can set up a conversion event so that when people hit the play button on your show notes on your website, it actually registers as a listen in Facebook, which can help you track the success of your ads over time. Number four, use a custom smart link or a one link to rule them all to send more traffic to Apple. 
You can do this using a tool called Chartable, but the whole point is that you create one single link that if someone is on an Apple device, they will be taken to Apple Podcasts, but if they're on a computer, then they'll be taken to your website. So with only one link, you can send people to their best listening experience, but at the same time, you can give preference to Apple, which is really where we as podcasters do want to divert a lot of our traffic. And number five is to use the thank you pages in order to drive more listens. When people opt into anything on your website, they will be looking at a thank you page that is often lost real estate. So use this opportunity to encourage people to have an episode to listen to. And this is an especially great strategy if you're doing a webinar, which doesn't happen for a week, because you will immediately give your new listener something to do. These five strategies range from beginner to advanced but I hope that at least one of them offers you something new to try for your podcast. And if you do give any a shot, I would love to hear about it. Reach out to me on Instagram at witandwire and tell me more about your experience, whether it worked or not, and I would love to be of help. Also, I do hope that all of you check out Miriam's podcast, The Inspiration Place, and don't forget about her new free ebook, The Artist Profit Plan. Inside, you'll discover the five things you don't need to build a profitable art business, plus the five that you do. You'll find the freebie in the complete show notes for this episode at witandwire.com slash 25. Thank you so much for joining us this week. To learn more about Miriam's business, podcast, and her free download, plus everything mentioned in today's episode, check out the complete show notes at witandwire.com slash 25. If you enjoyed this episode, and I sincerely hope you did, I would love to ask you for a quick review in Apple Podcasts. I'm trying to hit 100 reviews by the end of 2021, and in order to do that, I'm going to keep asking you very politely in the outro of many episodes until we get there. To leave a review, you can visit witandwire.com apple and hit the cute little stars. And if you're feeling generous, include a quick comment with something that you loved about the podcast or this episode. I'll also choose a few to include in shoutouts in upcoming episodes, so feel free to include your podcast name and take advantage of that free exposure. Thank you again for joining me, Melissa Guller, in this episode of Wit and Wire. I'll see you next time, podcasters.